Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Am I talking too much at this time? No, no, not at all, Nick. Not at all, mate. Are we meant to have been on like dessert by now? Because <laughs> I can talk. <laughs> Hi, I'm chef, restaurant owner and music fan, Paul Ainsworth, and this is Knives, Forks and Tunes, the podcast where we ask the all-important questions, dream dinner party menu, playlists, and of course, who's invited. Every episode's cooking tips and party playlists are available in the show description. My guest this week is comedian, actor and rock musician, Nick Helm. Following the success of his Edinburgh Fringe show, he made his acting debut as Andy in the brilliant BBC sitcom Uncle before hosting his own music and comedy show, Nick Helm's Heavy Entertainment. He's also released three solo albums, including the perfectly titled Nick Helm is Fucking Amazing. But of course, I'm a massive fan of his food show, Eat Your Heart Out with Nick Helm. Nick, welcome to Nice Forks and Tunes. Hello, how are you doing, Paul? Uh, I'm very well. How are you, mate? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm really excited to be here. Fantastic. Good. <laughs> now, we're going to ease into this kind of dinner party <laughs> and like what you want to eat and what you want to drink and music, but we're going to start off with some little quick-fire questions. Sure. You up for that? Yeah, I'm up for anything. Amazing. Do you throw dinner parties? Uh, we, yeah, when we've been allowed to in the past, yes. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I haven't really been having, haven't had a dinner party in about a year and a half. Yeah. Um, I moved house into a very tiny flat yeah. that I own, but before I rented a really nice flat and I had dinner parties all the time. Oh, God. Uh, short answer, yeah. yeah, yeah, I do. I have dinner parties, so yeah, so you're a fan of the dinner party, then? Yeah, you, I you love like a dinner party. Yeah, I really like dinner parties. I like cooking. Yeah, because believe it or not, I've had some guests that aren't actually a fan of a dinner party. They don't. They just find the whole thing a bit awkward and can't stand the mess. Um, I think <laughs> I, I can understand that. I can. I do you know what though? The last few kitchens I've had have been open plan kitchens. Yeah, sort of going to like either like a living area or the dining area, and that really helps because I do get overwhelmed by people. Yeah, I think I've had a few dinner parties where there's been about like you know eight people around the table, but generally, if it's like a birthday party, I like have like thirty people over, and I'll do kind of like a spread, and then people just people <laughs> arrive for like three o'clock to eat, but. I'll have gone to the supermarket at 2.30 just before they got there. <laughs> so they'll all be eating at 9 o'clock anyway. And I'll just be there in plain sight cooking. And people will think, oh, there's Nick. But I don't talk to anyone. <laughs> so you're just hiding in plain sight. Because I find people, you know, I find social situations awkward and overwhelming. Yeah. But the way you do it is you invite enough people. They're self-sufficient. They can talk to each other. They're all getting hammered. And then you're just cooking there, and everyone thinks that they've seen you all day. Yeah. But you've just been hiding, just in plain sight, cooking for them. I'm exactly the same. I, as a chef, much prefer more people, mm. massive big spread on the table where everyone's more feasting. Yeah. Whereas the whole sort of 10 people starter, main course, dessert thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I find it difficult. That's what I like. I like it's, it ends up being a bit like um family Christmas dinner then. Yeah. Um but I like feasts, yeah, where you just cook loads of food and everyone can just sort of like, you know, dig in and help yeah. themselves. Do you get the fact cuz do you get the thing when you're cooking? Mm. That you you cook all this food and, and you're not hungry, and you're hungry. <laughs> yeah, all the time. So why is that? For me personally, I'm like I'm roasting hot. Yeah, <laughs> it's normally at Christmas. Yeah, that's when I kind of. Um, my wife does pretty much all the cooking throughout the year, and then like when we have her side of the family's huge, so yeah. I really enjoy that. I'll just do, I'll just like you say, kind of let everybody chat and socialise, and right. I kind of quite like getting lost 
in what I do and just cooking and providing a feast for everyone. But I don't know. I think most of the time for me is is that I'm hot and I do nibble as I go. Yeah, it's it's tasting stuff as you yeah. Can, yeah, yeah. Because I, I yeah, I don't think that you need to eat as much. Not you personally. <laughs> I don't think you need to eat as much as. As you, it's because you sit down and you eat everything in one concentrated, like, 10-minute allotment of time. Right? Yeah. Whereas if you pick at stuff, it hits your stomach, and then you, you're like, oh, I only had a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Kind of like it's your, true. Your, your brain sort of, like, goes, no, you've eaten now, you're full. Yeah. If you only ate a little bit and then you waited half an hour. Yeah, yeah. I have cooked Christmas dinner quite a lot in the past, and every time I've done that, I'm never hungry for it. Yeah. And I'm never hungry when I cook dinner for people. And they always say, you're not eating, Nick. And I said, yeah, I know what I've been doing with my hands. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Uh, So so my next question was, which by the sounds of it, you really like to do. And that's, so you love cooking. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a comedian and I can never eat before I go on stage. And I find comedy really stressful. Everything's stressful until the moment you're on stage and you're in front of a microphone. And at that point, you know whether the gig's going to be good or bad. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, and if it's good, it's great. And if it's bad, it's like you can deal with it. But it's not knowing all day. Yeah. Leading up to that thing, you get so I get so stressed and nervous. Uh, on tour, it's a little bit better because they're there to see you. But when you're just you know part of like a, a gig, then it's kind of like it's difficult. So what I would used to do is when I get back from a gig at like midnight, I would cook, and then it would absolutely like, relax me. And yeah, I love it. I love cooking. Like everyone says, you know, like people say about my job, you know, the hours or mm. like you know a fisherman, how dangerous it is and that. But like. I can't even begin to imagine, like, the the anxiety or the fit. Like, a comedian, I mean, like, you've got singers and stuff going on stage or, like, groups and that, but a com- I mean, it, it is pretty cutthroat, isn't it? Like you say, I mean, a bad gig, there can't be anything worse, can there, than if it's just not going to plan? In a way, I think it's worse for the audience because I think that they sometimes get embarrassed on your behalf. Yeah. But in actual fact, it's part of the job. Yeah. Uh, in order to get new material, you've got to go up and try out material. Yeah. So, like, until you've finished working on the jokes and, and the routines and stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of it is failure. But it must be the same with cooking. I was just, you know, I was just thinking the same thing because, you know, when I, when I first did Great British Menu, you can try it out. Everyone you're trying it out on is a fan of yours yeah. and it must be like you know everyone's just laughing at you but yeah. then the real the real test is when you actually go and do it in front of people or cook for people you don't know yeah and that's when the real test comes yeah yeah i think that's exactly it. but also you know you're free to fail in your kitchen yeah you're trying different uh, combinations of stuff and flavors and you're kind of like going well does that work and it doesn't and you go okay and you learn and you and it's a learning experience and you don't you, you don't find that humiliating. You just go like, I tried something, yeah. that didn't work. I'll try something else. I'll tweak that. I'll do that. And that's what stand-up is. Yeah. But it's public. Yeah. So you yeah. Do, And you have to do it publicly because you have to know what works. But then as you get on a bit, you know, I've been doing it for like 15 years. So with COVID, we haven't been able to like test stuff. So it's been literally, oh, well, we've booked you for this TV show. There you go. You're in front of the cameras and you're doing new material for like 15 minutes that you haven't tried anywhere. And the stuff I've done recently has sort of worked. And so you can rely on your instincts eventually. But that's kind of... That's the same as like learning what combinations of things go together. I do suffer from anxiety when it comes to sort of doing stand-up and performance. You know, sometimes I hate that aspect of it. And, you know, I always think, oh, if I could just do TV, if I could just act, if I could just do this. I love making albums because you're just in a studio and you're recording stuff, and then when you think it's perfect, you can release it, and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Then you think, oh, if I could just walk away from stand-up, and then you don't do it for a bit, and you and you want to go back again. And I think a lot of the anxiety helps me be, be better. Yeah, yeah. Because if it means that you care. Yeah, absolutely. And when you don't care, you go on stage. Yeah. And you could be absolutely smashing it. But if you don't feel anything when you're doing it, yeah. then what's the point? Yeah, exactly the same what we do, yeah. It's because you care, exactly as you say. It's because you care. Nick, if you owned a restaurant, yeah, what would you call it? Well, me and my friend Rebecca 
Uh, Rebecca's my uh, best friend from primary school, so we've known each other for about 34 years, maybe. We, she's, she's a cook, and we were going to own... Uh, we were going <laughs> to run uh, a, f- a fast food uh, chop shop <laughs> uh, called Chop Chop Chop. <laughs> He just sorted chops in a hurry. <laughs> and um, and then you'd order, like, whatever chops you wanted. You could have, like, a, you know, a beef chop, a pork chop, you know, a cauliflower chop, fuck it. And, um, and then you'd order, like, like, sides, and you'd have, like, oh, there's mash. And then you'd have, like, a tap at your table that does the gravy. Yeah. Do you know what I love about it? You're like, cause normally you would, you might go, Chop, 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 <laughs> yeah. by Nick Helm, or Nick and Rebecca. Yeah. But chop, 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 chops in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, it's good. That's the best. I think, I think it's, it's got, yeah. But we haven't really we haven't really gotten down to the nuts and bolts of how we do it or what we do. Yeah. But, yeah, we're always sort of um, talking about, like, running. But it's a different restaurant every time we talk about it. But yeah. But the one that... The one that lasted the longest was, was chop, 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 chop. I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> right. The dinner party. Yeah. Alive or dead? Fictional or real? And it's, and it's totally up to you. Oh, it's fictional as well. Yeah. Who oh. would your oh. fantasy dinner party oh, be? <laughs> I just want to say that this podcast is very difficult. <laughs> because if it was just food, that would be hard enough. Yeah. And then it's also music, which is impossible. Yeah. And then it's guests. And it's not just like, who are you a fan of? Which is a more basic question. And it's not just like... <laughs> what's your favourite food and it's not what's your favourite music it's like if you were orchestrating a dinner party you've got to think who'd get on with each other you've got to think <laughs> you know what's enough for everyone to sort of share and eat and and then you've got to think it's not about my favourite music it's not about like putting motorhead in, in the background while people are eating it's kind of like coming up with something that's sort of like it's good but also ignorable so that you can chat over it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's complicated. Every, every aspect of this podcast is complicated. So maybe when you do the next series, you might want to rethink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally been away at a wedding all weekend and I spent the whole wedding just like going, oh, Kurt Russell? No. <laughs> no. He wouldn't get on with Marie Antoinette, would he? <laughs> and so it's been... Yeah, so you haven't been much company no, you've ruined because my of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. We've ruined your weekend. Yeah, it's yeah. been a nightmare. Yeah. Hmm. Go on then, first guest. I can't remember who I've said now. I've had, a, I've got a big list. I had like, so my long list was like ninety people. Oh yeah, Paul Verhoeven. That's my, that's my first guest. Right. Why? Um, so Paul Verhoeven directed Robocop, Basic Instinct, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, Showgirls. He's like Amazing this, films. Some of them are amazing for different reasons. Um, Robocop's Ro- one that resonates with me. Robocop's incredible. Uh, it's just really works on almost every level. And it's, like, it's a comedy, it's satire, it's action, it's horrific. It's really, like, it's so, when we were talking just yeah. before we started, it's like, I it's had, a bit dark. I had nightmares about yeah, Robocop. Yeah, me too. Just, even just when he <laughs> takes his helmet off and you, yeah. and, you, and you see his face for the first time, it's all horrific. And, and a, a lot of his films are like that, where he mixes kind of a lot of things. He's Dutch, and he grew up during the uh, Second World War where his neighbourhoods were being bombed, and they'd wake up every morning and they'd just find buildings and human remains just all over the streets. Yeah. I don't know if it desensitised him, but it gave him kind of like this outlook. So when he went over to America, he kind of made films that took the piss out of America and their sensibilities. And and like everything was very violent in America and on American TV. So he just sort of like upped that and he made things super violent. And there's like this scene in Robocop where this guy, I guess at the time he would have been like a yuppie, but it's futuristic, but he's kind of like this yuppie guy. And he gets machine gunned in a boardroom office, which is meant to be funny. But he gets 
and it is. But he gets machine gunned for like 45 seconds. <laughs> it goes on for ages. Is that by Ed 209? By Ed 209. Yeah. And, it's got, yeah. and, and that is such a... Like, when you're little and you see it, it's, and you're not many, but, like, we did... Uh, but when you're little and you see it, it's like it's it's horrific. But weirdly, when they whenever they showed it on ITV, they cut that bit down so that he got he got shot for like I don't know three seconds or two or ten seconds or something like that, which was worse because he got when you see a man just getting machine gunned for it's like a Family Guy sketch. He's just like getting he's getting shot for such a long time that it's just it ends up just being funny, you know. And <laughs> and that was kind of like this really dark sense of humour that um, that Paul Verhoeven has. And if you had him at a dinner party, he'd be amazing and when you were cooking he would keep all the other guests yeah and change you know who's next the next person was rick baker rick baker is um <laughs> you're looking at me like you twat <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. no no can i tell you what i was looking at you because you are you are just for the listeners you are the first you are the first person to come on and kind of do your guest list like live like you've literally got like a list of people that you're still choosing as we're going through this <laughs> oh, right. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Well, you know, I went to a wedding, and <laughs> yeah. you know, one thing I learned at that wedding is table seating is important. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> they put your name on a little piece of uh, paper on a little cardboard <laughs> triangle, you know, for a reason. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, so you can move. Yeah. So, can, <laughs> so Rick, Rick Baker, I tried to pick someone that did something different from everyone else. So they don't have stuff to talk about. Yeah. Rick Baker is a, a makeup effects artist who did special effects for American Wealth in London. Yeah. He did Michael Jackson's Thriller. Uh, he did loads of other stuff. He's really obsessed with apes. So he did the 1976 King Kong movie, which was sort of like his first attempt at it. And then years later, Tim Burton got him back to do Planet of the Apes. And the, really, the only good thing about that was the makeup. And the makeup was incredible. And I think one of the last things he did was Wolfman. And while he was making Wolf, and again, he's obsessed with werewolves, and, and so he started with American Werewolf London, and then he went on and did Wolf. I mean, you're laughing, like, you think this is bullshit, but <laughs> it's not bullshit. Some people care about this stuff, right? <laughs> Fuck you, PR. For everyone out there, that's uh, <laughs> Nick, he's talking to Jess Corrigan. <laughs> right? So he did uh, Wolfman, and the thing that made him retire was the fact that largely they. Re- they <laughs> They, am I, am I talking too much at this? No, no, not at all, Nick. Not uh, at all, mate. Are we meant to have been on like dessert by now? Because <laughs> right. I can talk. Right? <coughs> oh dear, I so, love it. So they replaced a lot of his work on the Wolfman with CGI, and he was just like, "Oh, do you know what? It's over." But I follow him on Instagram, and he's really. He d- he's got daughters and he does like all of their Halloween makeup. You just think if your dad was Rick Baker and he was doing your makeup for Halloween, you could really fuck some people up. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's like it was. It, he's he's just incredible. <laughs> oh, this Who's is, next? I've got less to say about some people. Brian Johnson from ACDC. Uh, I mean, great shout there. When Brian Johnson took over from ACDC, he had like this impossible task where Bon Scott had died, and they were like with the family's blessing, they were like, you've, you've got to move on and keep going. And they were like, okay, we'll have him as the front man. And he came in and back in black. I think, uh, I don't know if it's been, like, replaced or anything, but, like, at the time, I think it was only Thriller that had sold more, more copies than Back in Black. Yeah. As a debut album, you know, and there's a lot of people that are on the fence about whether, or they're like, oh, we, we prefer Bon Scott to Brian Johnson. And you go, well, yeah, sure. But they didn't replace... You know, they didn't fire Bon Scott, and you wouldn't have ACDC if it wasn't for Brian Johnson. He's also got this really great TV series called Cars That Rock, and I don't drive, and I'm not interested in cars, and I watched every episode. I, thought it was I was brilliant. about to go on to that, but I won't bother. Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I love it. him as well. Yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah. He's so down yeah. to earth. Yeah. It's brilliant. And his collection of old, um, proper old, like 1912 Bentleys and it, that 
racetrack that banks up the side. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You did the thing is, uh, you know, when I was young, my dad told me that I'd never see the inside of a Rolls Royce unless I was getting buried. Well, look at me now, dad. I got 10 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's sweet. You know, he's just really enthusiastic. And he's sort of, even though ACDC are like one of the biggest bands on the entire planet, he still seems really grounded and down yeah. to earth. Yeah. That's a brilliant impression. Thank you. That's how he talks. <laughs> so after Brian Johnson, uh, I've got Tina Turner. So I wanted to have like another musician. Fantastic. I th- so Tina Turner, I went to see uh, in uh, nineteen ninety six with my mum and my sister uh, on her wildest dreams tour. She's one of uh, the best. Uh, she's simply <laughs> really good, isn't she? <laughs> So we've got T- Tina Turner. Got Tina I know Turner. you've got another one. Shall we have Jason Statham? Yes, please. He's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got Jason Statham. He's just really good, isn't he? Yeah. I've got nothing more to say about him. He's just turned up. Yeah. I heard Chris Farley wanted to have a comedian. It was going to be either Steve Martin, Chris Farley, Eddie Murphy or Buster Keaton. But I picked Chris Farley because he's dead. And he made one really good film. And then he made a bunch of other films that weren't as good. But the one really good film, Tommy Boy, that he made, I love that film more than most other people's best films. He just seemed like he would be a lovely guy. And he also has got a huge appetite. Yeah. So there wouldn't be any leftovers. So you just go, this is great. You know, he can hoover up at the end and it's fine. And it's always good to have someone like that who's full of energy. Yeah. You know. You, you uh, wouldn't sit him next to Paul Verhoeven. No. Either they wouldn't get on or they'd dominate. Yeah. So you keep them separate ends, you know. Uh, maybe sit next to Tina Turner, between yeah. Tina Turner and Jason Statham. Because uh. Jason Statham kind of can be a bit monosyllabic. Yeah. You know? But also, <laughs> he uh, he was a diver at the Commonwealth Games. So he's kind of like got lots of different yeah. aspects. You know, you feel like Jason Statham acting was at the very bottom of his list of things he could do. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he's incredible. But he could be doing something else. And then my last guest was... Uh, <laughs> this is a good one. I mean, it's, is it, do you know who it is? Mary, it was Mary Shelley. If it's, yeah, if it's the one that you picked out of the 90 you brought, then, uh, yeah. <laughs> Mary Shelley, um, she's really dead. Um, <laughs> yeah. But last, I, my, my reasoning was last time she was at a party, she invented Frankenstein. Yeah. So... Imagine, imagine what imagine what she'd do with do it at your party. Yeah, imagine yeah. what she'd do at my party. <laughs> but there's quite a lot of horror people in there. Oh, there was. It's just a very long list. I mean, Sean Bean didn't get invited. William Shatner, Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. He'd be good, wouldn't he? Yeah. Nicholas Cage is just. Yeah. Oh, what? Who's that at the door? <laughs> Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yeah. He's, he weren't invited, mate. It doesn't matter. He's just barging in. Oh, well, don't sit next to. All oh, right, sit next to Tina. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Abraham Lincoln? No. No way, mate. Right, Nick, guests have arrived. They're all sat down. You're, you've just left them to it because you can't be asked to speak to them. Don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to speak to them. Instantly overwhelmed. Yeah. What starter, what starter would you cook for these uh, electric bunch of people? So... I went to a restaurant in Clapham called The Dairy. Amazing restaurant. And they do... Have you ever heard that pea starter? That no. They do? It's just... It's like this pea medley, right? Where they have, like, this pea mousse and peas, actual peas, this pea and mint sort of jelly. Yeah. Torn up mint leaves. It's like they've got, like, ground-up pork-scratching salt. And it was, like, ice-cold... And it came out in this little dish, and it, it was just like this absolutely just... If you like peas, my God, this is the dish for you. <laughs> um, it, if you don't, don't order it, I would recommend, because, you know... Um, <laughs> if you don't like peas. It's pea-centric, yeah. do you know what I mean? And I think it was a seasonal dish, so they did... But I just remember, I was halfway through eating... Me and my girlfriend ordered it, 
and we were halfway through eating it and then as we were eating it we were just like can we just order another one of these please because it's it, it was incredible and I've never done that before or since where you're like halfway through eating something and you're just thinking there's not enough of this we're going to have to order another one of this I, I know exactly what you mean I mean that's happened to me a couple of times like literally only a couple of times where you order it again yeah um, and I can I mean I've got all of the ingredients that you said that were in there and I can really see why that is a beautiful dish, especially when peas are in season. Yeah. Um, and and then with the pork scratching as well, like peas and bacon work so well together. And I think what was good about it was that there were different sort of like disciplines and techniques that they used in order to create all of the different things. Yeah. But really simple in terms of ingredients. Yeah. Um, it was mainly peas. <laughs> and I love peas. It was really good. I love peas. Or there's another starter where I went to this restaurant in Glasgow called Cafe Gandolfi. I filmed there for Eat Your Heart Out and they just did like small dishes. And I ordered this thing which was like this white onion puree. Yeah. It came with, and it was another like, it was like an onion medley, right? Where it was white onion which was this sort of mousse puree type thing. Yeah. That came with feta cheese, cold charred uh, spring onions. And it was kind of like a bunch of different things. And I ate this thing, and I'm not a massive fan of feta cheese, but the onion was so sweet that when you put it with the feta cheese, I felt like my brain was exploding. It was like one of the most... And it had um, black onion powder that was sort of like sprinkled over it. And uh, yeah, it was just like this combination of all these different techniques that they used to make this onion stuff and I just ate it it was one of the and the feta cheese was just so great it complemented it really great and it was it was amazing so I worked out how to make it and I made it for Christmas dinner the last time I saw you made family and it was it's, it's just this really good dish Nick again I would love a starter like that I love things like you said the charred um, spring onions like white onions probably onion is my favourite thing to cook with right in in just anything and I love it but just making onion the main the main part of the dish I love feta right. uh, I, yeah at home I'll have feta on pretty much anything I love feta so uh, yeah nice 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 starters there mate and can, I, can I ask you a tip yeah of course you can so like so when I did the onions yeah. the, the spring onions I charred them and then I put them into iced water. Yeah. But they came, they, they were really sort of like, they'd lost all of their structure to them and they were quite greasy. Yeah. So how would you do that? So why did you, is there a reason why you charred them, then put them into iced water? Because I'm guessing at it. Right, okay. So I wouldn't chill them down. Um, if you, if, if the white onion mousse is kind of served chilled, yeah. I imagine then... I love, like, temperature contrasting cooking. So I would just leave those, you know, either using something like um, baby leeks or spring onions. Sure. Or you've got the little Gretlot onions, which look a lot like a, a spring onion, but they've got a, just a bigger bulb right, yeah, on yeah. the end. And just simply char them. So you kind of got that sort of temperature contrast. So you kind of got, like, room temperature feta, nice kind of hot charred spring onions, and then that lovely chilled white onion mousse. And to stop them being greasy, just, you know, it, just don't put the... If you're going to do them in a pan, or even better, if you did do them on the barbecue on a, on a char grill, just cut them down the middle, season them, and just lightly, ever so lightly brush them with a little bit of olive oil. Right, yeah. So you're kind of brushing the veg, not putting the oil in the pan. Great. That would be my mistake, yeah. Yeah? Great. Nick, what would you have your guests drinking? <laughs> I'm laughing because he's staring at me in the face. What would you have your guest drinking uh, at this fantasy dinner party? Well, there's some really sophisticated people there. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a good mix. And I think that those two starters, whichever one I pick, yeah. uh, are probably the onion one because I've done it before. You know, it's got very subtle flavours to it. Yeah. So to serve that would be Pepsi Max Cherry. Yeah. Um, I thought about maybe Pepsi Max raspberry or ginger. But <laughs> Hang on. Really? Did Pepsi Max do a ginger? Yeah. <sighs> but have you had Pepsi Max cherry? No. Was... Because I was going to come on to, I, I only know cherry Coke. But uh... if, you, if you go to cherry, uh, see, Coca-Cola, if we can go off on a tangent on this show. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Coca-Cola. Nick, Nick, I'm not even going to try and stop you. Okay. So, the Cherry Coke, right, was my favourite drink growing up. 
when I drink it now, it's so sweet. Yeah. And also, I used to hate Diet Coke and like full fat Coke, great. But I've drank so much Diet Coke recently that when you go back to full fat Coke, it's so sweet. There's something that's really weird when Diet Coke do flavors. So they put like lime in, or they yeah. put mango in, or they put cherry in. And it's not Diet Cherry Coke, it's Diet Coke with cherry. And the flavour that they have is such sort of like a synthesised cherry flavour. It's kind of like an impression of what you think cherry tastes like. Whereas cherry Coke tastes like cherry Coke. Yeah. And Pepsi Max Cherry is like the perfect cherry flavour, but it's also like a diet drink. And it doesn't have any sugar in it, but it's got maximum (laughs) (laughs) flavour. Hence the name. Uh, I I thought I'd be the one learning today. Yeah, yeah, uh, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Makes my tips about um, spring onions really irrelevant, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're all all learning. Um, But the other thing about, like, Pepsi Max Cherry, right, it's like, whenever I go into my Sainsbury's local, for a start, we ran out of toilet paper and pasta, and... Pepsi Max Cherry, right? In lockdown. In lockdown. Yeah. Like, Pepsi Max Cherry was really scarce. And, like, it wasn't there for weeks. And then they'd get a load in and then it would disappear within, like, you know, you'd have to get, like, uh, people uh, watching out the window to work out when the deliveries were. But the other thing was, like, the prices on Pepsi Max Cherry during lockdown has been, like, the footsie, you know? It's like you go in, it's, like, £1.90 for two litres. And then the next day, it's, like, £2.20 for two litres. You're like, well, where's the 30 pick? Do you know what I mean? And you go in and it changes two pounds is on offer it's two pounds for a two litre bottle it's a pound a litre it's a one pound eighty what one pound eighty quick guys it's one pound eighty then it's like off the shelves again like Pepsi Max Cherry has been a large part of my lockdown um, so yeah it's delicious yeah I could, t- I could tell uh, would you would you serve anything else I know like Pepsi Max Cherry is secretly for you. Would you serve anything else to drink? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, I think my favourite white wine would be like a Chenin Blanc. Yeah. So if you wanted that. I'm not drinking at the moment. I'm, I'm having some time away from alcohol. So Chenin Blanc is really... I don't like Sauvignon Blanc. I think that is too citric. Yeah. I'm not a massive fan of lemon flavoured drinks. I like cherry flavoured drinks. Yes. So when it comes to wine, <laughs> um, I... <laughs> you struggled. I struggled. <laughs> no, so <laughs> Chenin Blanc is, is, is not like... What, how would you describe Chenin Blanc? Because it's not citric, really. It's it? not. It's like you, like you say, I know exactly what you're saying. Sauvignon Blanc is, is for those people that like something with real high acidity. Yeah. And I would put Chenin Blanc just, just a, a, a lot tamer. Yeah. yeah, tamer. A lot tamer. Subtler. Subtler, yes. Yeah. For a more discerning yeah. palate. Yeah, yeah. So, like, for someone like myself who was a cherry conk man, but you've just taught me that, like, if I want to really train my palate, I should go to Pepsi Max Cherry. Yeah, well, um, the thing is, you can't, you know, as much as you want to, you can't drink two litres of cherry Coca-Cola a day. No. You know? But you can with Pepsi Max Cherry. <laughs> you can you can drink six. <laughs> right, now to the real business end of things, right. music. My favourite album is this album called uh, Jack Rabbit Slim yeah. by Steve Forbert. And no, not loads and loads of people know who Steve Forbert is. Um, but he was sort of like, at the time, in the late 70s, early 80s, he was sort of hailed as the next Bob Dylan. And then he had sort of like a bust up with his uh, label and then he went kind of like independent. And so he didn't write, have this huge career... But at the time, he was kind of doing pretty well. And I think Jack Rabbit Slim was his second album. And I bought it randomly from a vintage shop because the front cover was awful. Yeah. I saw this terrible album artwork and I thought, that looks rubbish. So I bought it as a bit of a joke in 2005. Didn't listen to it for two months. Yeah. And then eventually I listened to it. And it was like, uh, it blew my mind. It's one of the best albums. It's my favourite complete album from beginning to end. And you sit down and you listen to it. And then the single off it was Romeo's tune. Yeah. And it's a lovely song. And if you if you want to get into Steve Forbert, I guess you start with Romeo's tune and work backwards. But that album, every song on that album is great. And you can't eat an entire course in three and a half minutes. Well, you could. Yeah. Terrible party. <laughs> but but I would put that album on and that would be kind of the, the accompanying soundtrack of that, that course. 
I'm going to come back to that track because there's um yeah your your music choice is certainly on your main course one which we'll we'll come to um but uh i know exactly what you mean i'd never heard that track until you well it introduced me to it and um yeah and i'm gonna sort of bring that back when we talk about your main course track because you hated it no because <laughs> I, I, I loved it oh, but right. i'm gonna pay you a compliment uh and in in a bit as we move forward so now we're gonna uh move to the main course right Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right. Right. I love your dishes for your main course, but yeah, tell us tell us your main course choices for your guests. So whenever I would have like a, a party, um, I would do like banquet food. Yeah, like feasting food. Yeah, yeah, and I th- I love that. I I think that's how you show people that you care about them, that you love them, is that yeah, uh, you, absolutely. You, you feed them and you cook them food, and so I like making paella. You get like a big paella dish, and then you cook it. And then you put it out on the table for everyone to sort of like get a bit. And then I always serve it with chicken. So like depending on how many people there, you get a couple of chickens and you roast them and then you like cut them up and shred them or whatever. And then you <laughs> put them near the <laughs> near the paella and say that's a complete dish there. Mm-hmm. And then there'd be salads and stuff. And I'd do like corn and there'd be kind of because. I have, like, anxiety and I am not the best organised person. I would invite a lot of people over, you know, the time that they were meant to be arriving, that's when I'd go to the supermarket and I would throw money at a problem (laughs) and I would just, like, (laughs) overspend and I would buy hundreds of pounds worth of food that I was giving away that I wouldn't eat, we've established, because I wasn't hungry and my hands were filthy. And um, and I would just like make all this food for people. I always wash my hands. And and so you'd I'd end up like huge banquet food, there'd be like several different salads and stuff like that. But the the nuts and bolts of it would be there'd be paella and there'd be uh, beer roasted chicken. But I would put on loads of kind of like paprika and cayenne and stuff. Yeah, lovely. Um and the beer that I would roast it with would be Foster's. Right. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Which is kind of like yeah. a cooking lager. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's my favourite. <laughs> I mean, I would drink, I could drink Foster's all day long. Well, that there is the key point, right? So in cooking, we have a rule, like, or if you really care about cooking, is mm. it, we don't, there isn't such a thing as cooking wine, really. It, you should always cook with what you'd be willing to drink. Right, and the yeah. fact that you are willing to drink Foster's, Good man. <laughs> at, least, at least you're not looking at it just purely as cooking lager. <laughs> no, no, Which I've no. never, ever... I've never said that sentence before in my life. <laughs> cooking lager. <laughs> um, no, but like, if you want a real treat, then you cook with Foster's and you drink Desperados. Um, which is shandy in a bottle, isn't it? It's lovely. Um, so I, I don't... I'm not really into sort of like um, IPAs and yeah. craft beer and stuff like that. It all tastes like earwax to me. Yeah. So I just think Foster's is great. <laughs> they never gave me a Foster's Award in Edinburgh, but um, I'm paying the compliment by calling them cooking lager. But I love it. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Oh. Yes, yeah, so we've, 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 we've got paella... Yeah, Foster's Foster's roast chicken. Yeah, but you roast it till the Foster's is gone. Yes, and, or you put so much you put so much butter and paprika and cayenne with it all that basically you just get this really like th- thick gravy at the end of it. That that when you chop up all the chicken and you kind of like leave it all within the gravy, then it all kind of it stays moist. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely 
put some really nice big fat red prawns in your paella because I know yeah. that you absolutely adore prawns. I do like prawns. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. know you love peeling them like in any guise. Yeah. So you've definitely got to have some real nice. You had like the you know the nice big red cabanero prawns, right? Yeah, like that. Definitely got to have those in your paella. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing about paella is that it's a sharing thing. Yeah. But um, they look beautiful when yeah. you when you like put the lemon segments on and then the parsley on the top yeah. and uh, yeah and the prawns and chicken. You know, you can make it look beautiful before, like a cake. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Before people like start yeah. thinking, yeah. it's great. I think so it's, it's great meal. I would I would love that. That is that is good choice. And salad, it's just nice. Salad kind of makes keeps everything nice and fresh with think, all that richness. And and I think like anything with kind of pomegranate seeds as well. So I like making kind of like you can do kind of like curried uh, cauliflower with pomegranate seeds and parsley. That's sort of like a salad that you could do. What are we drinking, Nick? Uh, Pepsi Max Cherry. Yeah. So uh, Pepsi Max <laughs> Cherry is like basically to you like still and sparkling, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's fizzy or flat. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Would you? I can leave the lid off. I've left the lid off one of them overnight. That's still. Um, There's there's no hydration at your party. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we've got Pepsi Max Cherry and on ice. Yeah, on ice. Uh, Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. What was the what was the white jammy red roux is the (laughs) is the wine that I got. I think I like I like red wine. I haven't drank red wine in such a long time though. I can't really remember what my favourite red wine was maybe it was like a Malbec jammy red roux from Yellowtail but you know it's a good wine because they use uh, <laughs> glitter on the bottle yeah you know it's good. oh yeah well that's you know you're in you know you're in for something special you know you're in Flavortown <laughs> it's got it's got glitter on the bottle um <laughs> Uh, Jeremy Red Roux is so drinkable. <laughs> have you ever had it? No. I mean, no, I come on, mate. I, I, what are you but doing? I, I googled it. What are you doing? And, with and it like? blew my mind. Jeremy Red Roux. <laughs> so it's Yellowtail. They do lots of other ones. I can't remember what the actual yellow bottle. The yellow uh, Shiraz, I think, is the yellow bottle of that. So that's what I would drink probably a Shiraz in the days before I found Jeremy Red Roux. Yeah. Yeah. But now I'm a convert. Convert, yeah. You can drink eight bottles of that a night and not even feel it the next week. <laughs> um, it's no Jamie Redrew is like it's like basically alcoholic ribena. Yeah. Uh, to the point that you probably should dilute it because <laughs> it's so sweet. It's like concentrated Ravina, but it's also delicious. <laughs> yeah, and then with Pepsi Max flat or fizzy there as a um, yeah, everyone's getting a diabetes. Yeah, you know, because Foster's doesn't contain much sugar as well. So, like, yeah, you're right. We're all right. We're all right. Yeah. yeah. Now. This next track, I do know. Um, yeah. Do you remember what you picked? Up Around the Bend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, again, it's sort of like, I really love Creedence Clearwater. They're just a really cool band, and you can pick, like, any of their tracks, but Up Around the Bend is kind of like an upbeat, sort of fun song. If you were to literally put it on loop, and it would be on in the just the one song on loop in the background for the whole main course, and it's this, it might get on your nerves a little bit. Yeah. So maybe pick an album yeah uh, was it cosmos factory that uh, it might have come off that one yeah credence clearwater just a really uh good band and like again it's not my favorite band but you're thinking about what it's the sort of song that you can have on in the background and you you're sort of like subconsciously listening to it and enjoying it but it's not getting in the way of yeah you know you know, uh, talking to Jason Statham about diving techniques. You no. Know? <laughs> you know, it's not breaking your concentration and you're there. No, I, I, that track I do know, and I love that track. And, you know, I said earlier I was going to pay you a compliment. Sure, yeah. So um, I watched you on telly, like, when you were live at the Apollo. Oh, yeah. And you got that poor sod out the audience called mm. Will. Mm. Um, and you sang to him. Mm. Now I was expecting you to be like comedy singing and stuff like that, but like, like mate, you've got a really good voice. Um, yeah. uh, it, it, like, uh, in my opinion, thank you. <laughs> 
And uh, you wrote, like, this, the track you chose for your starter, Steve Forbert, I hadn't heard of, but I really liked it when I was listening to it, and I really like that Credence Clear Water track. And I grew up, my mum and dad listened to um, all sorts, like, from Glen Campbell, Tina Turner, like, Rod Stewart, all of that. But they used to listen to a um, group called Smokey. Right. Do you know Smokey? I don't know Smokey. Oh, you'd really like them. Right. And you sound like them. Oh, really? And that's why I was like, you've got a really good voice. Oh, that's nice. Um, interesting story. That was nice of that. That was really nice Yeah, yeah, You could just be, you know... I, well, like... I've, got, I've got several albums, and I thought the compliment was going to be, I think it's really uh, good that you didn't pick any of your own music. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very level-headed of you, Nick. <laughs> um, so when I did Live at the Apollo, it was a really difficult gig, and a lot of the audience hated me, right? It, um, including Will. Including he was Will, so right? uncomfortable. I remember it was such it was such a difficult gig, right? And uh, it's a hard gig anyway. But I was on very last, and people wanted their trains. It's like a, it's like a it's like a seven hour record. It's a seven. They did two episodes in one night, so you have six comedians. They're all doing like twenty minutes to half an hour each. It's like a really long night. And I was on very last, and people are just like, oh, "It's not for us, so let's go." Right? <laughs> and you're like watching. People leave along with your dreams <laughs> out the door. And, um, and I remember when I was singing the song, I was going, well, it's a tough gig, but this is the best I've ever sung. <laughs> and I was like thinking, wow. You know, in, through the tears, I was thinking, wow, my voice is on form tonight. It's the best I ever sung it on that. And I was thinking, and I'm really... I'm really... So the fact that I thought that, watching it, and yeah. you're now telling me that you feel that's the best you've ever sung that, I mean, I was onto something, wasn't I? It was... It, it was I mean, I, I'd like to think that I was professional when I did that and I didn't let, like, what was happening outside of me get in the way of, you know, providing the people that were paying me to do some good telly, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, it doesn't matter, it'll come out all right in the wash. Dessert time. You like desserts, don't you? I like the idea of a dessert, but I would rather have a cheese course. Yeah. If you've got to pick one or the other, I'd have a dessert and a cheese course. Yeah. But if you've got to pick one or another. Although I have recently got into sort of like pavlovas and stuff. Yeah, which is what you've picked. They're so easy. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question. Yeah. What is the difference between a pavlova and an eaten mess? An eaten mess, right. So a pavlova is basically, <laughs> it's, a, it's an Italian meringue set in like a round circle and then basically slow baked and the idea is you want like a nice crispy shell with a marshmallow middle mm. and then classically lots of whipped cream on top and strawberries eating mess is kind of the same but it's essentially the mess and apparently invented it eaten so you would have whipped cream broken up meringue strawberries is very classic or any kind of soft fruit really and that's it so essentially they are kind of the same, but one served like a gatto and one served in like a Sunday glass. So it's like you've dropped a pavlova. Exactly. And then you're making the best out of a bad situation. Which is probably what happened. You're styling eating. it out. Yeah, you're styling yeah, yeah, it out. Yeah. 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 A load of rah-rahs dropped a pavlova. Yeah. And then and then came up with eating mess. I'm gonna continue pronouncing it pavlova. Yes. Good. All right, <laughs> yeah. okay. Um, now <laughs> and also as well, you love salted caramel. So we could we could make or you else. a salted caramel pavlova. So I think, right, when it comes to what my skills are in terms of cooking, I, I prefer starters anyway. Yeah. Because you can just do loads. That's where you can be really kind of like inventive. When it comes to like a main course, you kind of want to give people a little bit of what they know. Yeah. And you can do like a variant on that, but it's kind of, I think it's less fun in a way. Starters, you can kind of like really experiment with stuff and then I'm not interested in cooking dessert at all no and with the cheese course yeah you can put together different cheeses and stuff but like I'm not really by that point in the meal it's just like if you if you don't love what I've done already the shit cake ain't gonna fix things do you know what I mean <laughs> so um so I I don't really I, I don't really care about dessert. But so if if so to ask you ask you if yeah. it, if I really love salt caramel, yeah. what's the best sort of salt, salt caramel dessert? Probably my favourite way of having salted caramel is with chocolate, and I would throw like nuts into the mix because I anything dessert. So basically, my favourite kind of thing is like anything based on a Snickers. <laughs> I like I I love. <laughs> 
praline. I love like roasted pecan nuts, hazelnuts, those sorts of things. We should open up an off license. Yes. <laughs> Never mind <laughs> what restaurant. It should be Pepsi Max and Snickers. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, I just think we're keeping it real. Nick. We're keeping it real. So I think when you come to Number City, we do a, a it's a, basically a homage to my dad. So my dad was from um, Blackpool originally right. and moved down to Southampton when he was 16, which is where I was born. Right. But I grew up eating, like, a, if we had dessert, like a lump of cheese, like yeah. just a cheddar with, say, Eccles cakes. Right. Or, which down south, not heard of, but up north, completely normal. But Eccles and, cakes is quite sweet. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so you know those flaky... Like a, a digestive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like those, they're flaky pastry mm-hmm. and then full of like that kind of mince meat as in the like yeah. currants and raisins, sultanas. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we do, we do a dessert, which is like an apple tartar tan. So basically again, another kind of thing that happened by accident, an apple pie that fell upside down in France. Right. Uh, and then we serve that with a beautiful kind of cheese. It's similar to the um, Cambazola, but um, is just like probably got a little bit more acidity, like like Rockfort. And I think because it's got that kind of salty caramel kind of vibe going on, I think it would just be your absolute match made in heaven. What are we drinking, Nick? Pepsi Max Cherry. Cherry, yeah. <laughs> of course we are. I really like Disarono. It's it's different from Amaretto. Yeah. Amaretto comes across across as quite almondy, which is what it's made from, but it tastes a little bit like it's natural. It's come from the earth. Yeah. Whereas Disarono tastes like syrup. <laughs> and I, I just as long as there's no natural ingredients in it, I'm I'm great, you know. Uh Disarono is sort of it's in it, what is it? It's it's not an amaretto if it's not made in a region, is that right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Yeah. So Disarono is kind of like inspired by Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel is a bit like the kind of the cherry in the the cherry coke and the Pepsi Max. Well, in your mind, is there real cherries in Pepsi Max? <laughs> do you know what? I've not really thought about this. Uh, I've not thought about this, but I used to work in a pub, and on a Friday night, I used to drink in another pub. Yeah. But the other pub that I drank in used to close half an hour before the pub that I worked in. So what I would do is at the end of the night, me and my mate on the way home would just stop off in my pub that I worked in, and we would order, <laughs> like... Two pints each of um, Amaretto and Coke. <laughs> the sweetest drink in the world. And they would be like, you've only got 10 minutes. And they'd be like, it's fine. <laughs> Destroy it. And um, this is why I've taken a break from alcohol, I think. Um, but um, so, uh, yeah, I guess it tastes like Pepsi Max cherry. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. I was in an hour about telling you, so I feel you because I feel you and this man need to meet, right? So when I first opened Number Six, right. our sous chef, who's no longer with us now, he's now, he now works in the south of France on a really, really posh boat for a very, very, very wealthy man. Yeah, and he's been on that boat now for about ten years. So he's so when he comes and visits us, he has the most amazing stories, and there's the best friend of the billionaire that owns the boat comes on the boat every summer. And this particular summer, he came on and he had just arrived. It was the first day of the summer holidays and he was drinking Diet Coke. And he summoned over one of the, you know, like the people who were working on the boat and said, this is, this is the best Diet Coke I've ever drank. What vintage is it? <laughs> right? So then they were like, is he taking the piss? Is he, is he joking? So he was like, no, he's been deadly serious. So they brought over the pack, <laughs> got all the cans, found the batch number. Everything was shipped out from the UK and flew over a private jet to pick up all of that batch of Diet Coke for the summer. So it just sounds like you and this guy need to meet because I think That's you incredible. really, you, you look at like you look at fizzy drinks in the same way as a sommelier looks at wine. That's incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> I knew you'd love that story. You know, that's the best part of going to somewhere like Five Guys where you can just do... Or you go to Nando's and you do like, well, that's 90% Diet Coke with a splash of Fanta on the top of it. Because, you know, you're at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory there. You can just do what you like. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. But, oh. do, but is it like that at Diet Coke? Is, there's a guy or girl... 
with a list of ingredients and they're just doing it. <laughs> yeah. like we've ran out, we better make some more. Is, is that how they do it? They actually put together ingredients themselves? I've, I've no idea. The only thing I would say that I find on a personal level is that there is no taste like it when it's out of that ice-cold glass bottle. But then I don't know if that's just memories. If you know, like, I just think of growing up as a child that it was every day of the six weeks holiday was hot. Was it? I don't know. But it always felt like it was. Yeah. Rose tinted glasses. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I know that from working in a pub, what you could do is that if you press the button on the uh, what, what? Uh, the soda siphon. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you did it lightly, then uh, the the more, syrup would more just post trickle mix. out. So the post mix would just trickle out. So you could give yourself twice as much diet coke syrup. Uh, uh, you know, for yourself when you're behind the bar, <laughs> and so what? That's what I would do. I would sort of like give myself like it's like a double espresso. You know, uh, you're giving yourself a double shot of a post mix, <laughs> filling up the rest. It's absolutely, absolutely delicious. And I, to this day, I prefer post mix to cans. Do you? But okay. I prefer glass bottles to post mix. To post mix, yeah. And then you know, a two litre bottle. Take the lid off. Whacking a straw. <laughs> happy, happy day. <laughs> For now. Do <laughs> you have to have something amputated? <laughs> yeah. Happy days for now. Oh, and. What what were you what are you gonna play for everyone while they're having dessert? Uh Cigarettes and Coffee by Otis Redding. Which is a, such a lovely song. But again, it's kind of like you just put on any Otis Redding at a, at, the, at a dinner party and everyone's happy really. Now my last question for you, and again, I think you chose brilliantly, uh, but by the sounds of things it was probably quite hard. If you had to give a Michelin star to an artist, who would you choose? It would be uh, Dolly Parton. Brilliant. Who's the best? Like, Can I just, before yeah. you explain what I... Like, we also have one Michelin star, two Michelin star, three Michelin stars. That, um, Dolly Parton, for me, would be three Michelin stars. Yes. And what three Michelin stars is, is just, you can't go any higher. It's the ultimate accolade. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, she gets all of the all, all of, of the, the stars. stars. Yeah. She's great. I saw Dolly Parton in 2011, where I got tickets because someone had seen me do stand up, and they said it was Live Nation, and they were talking about representing me, taking me on tour. And I happened to say I'd really like to see Dolly Parton. They gave me and my girlfriend tickets. You get to the O2 arena and you picked up the tickets and we looked at the, the numbers and they kind of don't really make sense and then get to an usher and they say, oh, you just keep walking that way. And we kept walking and then get to another usher and they go, just keep walking that way and kept walking. And then we got to another usher and they're going, uh, yeah, you, you're just over there and we kept walking, got to another usher. <laughs> We'd like been walking for fucking tw 25 minutes. <laughs> and we're sat fucking... Front row, centre, right? <laughs> like there's, she's got her monitors either side of the stage, of, of the mic stand. There's a mic stand. I like Dolly Parton. I don't know the words to any of her fucking songs, right? <laughs> like, I turn around to my girlfriend and I go, don't you dare go for a piss. Right? She's definitely, she's definitely going to notice that we're not there. She's like singing lyrics to my, nine to five at us, right? We're like, oh, what the fuck? And, and there's like people that have sold their Winnebago's to be there. And we're like, we just, you know, and she does like two hours and she's, it's like, it's almost like a, 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 a comedy routine. Like every time she goes off stage, she's wearing something different and got another instrument. <laughs> like now she's got a mandolin. Now she's got a fucking tuba. <laughs> you know what I mean? And she's like, she like keeps coming on wearing different things and carrying different shaped things. And you're like, going, this is fucking, she says, you know, she's two, two hours and he goes, oh, wow, that's incredible. And she goes, okay, we're just going to have a little break now and then we're going to do another half. And she did like four hours. And by the end of it, you know, in a good way, I was just absolutely just bawling my eyes out. Just like this was like, it was the best thing I've ever oh, seen. That's amazing. It was incredible. She's just absolutely incredible. She funded 
like a vaccination for coronavirus. It just came out that, you know, she wrote, I Will Always Love You, which was obviously a huge hit for Whitney Houston. She got $10 million worth of royalties that she has put into a black neighbourhood in Nashville. She's very open about the fact that what she does on stage, she's an entertainer, This and her private life is really private, but she spends her private time kind of like uh, putting money into books for disadvantaged people that can't afford books and, like, educating children, and she's kind of, like, doing fame the best that anyone's ever done it. Nick, I just want to say um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I love I'm a it, big yeah. fan of you. You're, I think you're so funny. Um, I love Eat Your Heart Out. And, yeah, it's just been such a pleasure talking to you. And, and, I, and I love your menu. Thank I absolutely you. love your menu. Drinks, I could take or leave, but um, artists, love them. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, leave the drinks, because um, if you're not having them, I'll have them. Yeah. I'll, I'll sweep at the end of the night. But, yeah. but uh, everything else that you said was lovely. Thank you. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank oh, you pleasure. Much. Thanks, mate. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 